The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. They're too bad for radio and too good-looking for television. And now, here they are to pluck the low-hanging fruit of the literati. Your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. All right, we're back. And that was our announcer, Sal Paradise, hyping the low-hanging fruit of the literati, <laughs> which we're going to get to today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the dark secrets of the noble and lonely art of ghostwriting. I'm Mike Edison, your daddy-o on the radio, here with the co-hostess with the mostest, the woman who is truly too hot for television, <laughs> Judy McGuire. Hello. Hey, Judy, before we get started, I wanted to ask you, I was reading the paper today, I was reading about Anthony Weiner. Um, and his wiener. And his wiener. And the post is just, it's um, penis propaganda nonstop. They are obsessed with his erection. Whether or not it is his erection, we don't know. We can't say with certitude. Apparently, neither can he. But what <laughs> I wanted to ask you is have you ever sent a naked picture of yourself through email or a text or a sext or. I'm any- old school. I'm all about the Polaroids. And that was <laughs> quite a while ago. I, I Nobody needs to see my my droopy boobs at this point in life you know once you hit 40 you should not be taking naked pictures I, I will confess there is um, a naked photo of me somewhere passed out I was taken when I was passed out on the floor of a hotel room in Tokyo and it was uh, I, I benefited let's just say from an oblique camera angle so, so I'm not terribly embarrassed but I don't understand how anybody in this day and age could put a picture of themselves naked on the internet, on their website, on their Twitter account, and not expect someone to see it, especially a guy who wants to run to be mayor of uh, you know, the smartest city in the world. Well, did you see the Blake Lively nude pictures? No, not yet. She, If I looked like Blake Lively n- naked, I would be naked all of the time, and everyone <laughs> in the world would have copies of those nude photos. I think if you're going to do it, you should just own it. Nobody who votes for Anthony Weiner is going to care that he sent a boner picture if he did. But sending it over Twitter, that's especially stupid. Stupid! You know, these guys have got to learn that, you know, once the KY jelly is out of the tube, it's hard to get back in. Yeah, it just doesn't go back. And let the reaming begin. <laughs> All right. Well, with that happy thought, let's get on to uh, our guest today. We're going to be talking about ghostwriting and whose ghosts are we busting today? Sarah Palin? Dick Cheney? Michael Jordan? Keith Richards? No. Much better. Much better. It's Snooky from the Jersey Shore. Wrestling superstar Ric Flair, not to mention Joan Rivers, Paul Simon, the New York Dolls, the Hardy Boys, and a very special guest uh, coming up. What we're going to ask, is this just a dream gig or highfalutin literary prostitution? So let me introduce our guests. Val Frankel, our old friend, a best-selling novelist, award-winning journalist. She's written 24 books, including The Accidental Virgin and The Girlfriend Course, and contributed to dozens of publications, including The New York Times, Self, Allure, Glamour, Parenting, and Good Housekeeping. Her memoir, Thin is the New Happy, about overcoming bad body image after 30 years of dieting, was recently described as rueful, zestful, and surprisingly funny by the New York Times. And her new book, It's Hard Not to Hate You, will be out in the fall. But she's here today for her bra- gra- groundbreaking work with Snooki. 
She's the woman who put author and Snooky in the same sentence. They said it couldn't be done. And she has also worked with my favorite, my lifelong crush, Joan Rivers, on They Like Big Boobs, Woman's Guide to Beauty Through Plastic Surgery. Let's hear it for Val Franco. Woo! Yay, Val! Yeah! Also joining us is my old pal Keith Elliott Greenberg, a New York Times bestselling author and award-winning television producer. Um, he's worked for 48 Hours, uh, America's Most Wanted, the History Channel. He's done lots of true crime stuff. He's the author of over 30 nonfiction books, including December 8th, 1980, the day John Lennon died, and Love Hurts, the true story of a teen romance, a vicious plot, a family murdered. But he's here today, best known for his collaborations with classy Freddie Blassie, the Hollywood fashion plate, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and our very special guest we're going to have a little later, superstar Billy Graham. That's Woo! right. Can yeah. you dig it? So how did you guys get into this ghostwriting business? You guys are career authors, you guys are fantastic writers, and here you are standing behind someone else. Well, I mean, you know, you say, is this uh, prostitution? What is in prostitution? <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, so, people need a voice. And sometimes they uh, just need a person of our uh, talents to help articulate that mm-hmm. voice. Yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of the people who uh, use ghostwriters are obviously talented, intelligent people. Like Joan Rivers has written her own books before. She just doesn't have the time to do it anymore. And so she has to hire some someone to help, and there's no shame in that, I think, from her perspective. And from my perspective, I got to hang out with Joan Rivers for six that months. So yeah, that's awesome. Come on, that's awesome. She she gave me tons of QVC jewelry and makeup, and <laughs> so what, what <laughs> she is, critiqued my critiqued my outfits. What does Joan look up look like up close? I tell you, well, you know, no slam on Joan. The first time I saw her when I interviewed for the job. Uh, you know, she, first of all, she walked into the room with this sort of sparkly caftan on that was unzipped in the back, like down to her granny <laughs> panties. <laughs> and before I even got a look at her face, which I was dying to see, she sort of came at me, you know, with from the rear view backing up, like beep, 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 and said, can you zip me? So, you know, before I even met her, I was zipping up her caftan. Your hand was hovering <laughs> near her butt. <laughs> That's right. I saw her, you know, That's 80-year-old fair. pruny back and... And then she turned around to face me, and I, you know, reared back in horror. And was it indeed pruny, though? <laughs> her, you know, it looked like old lady back. Really? Yeah. She really aged home. She's seventy something. Wow. Because you know, I'm thinking that maybe I could use like an internet sex tape of some sort to help publicize my next book. And I've been keeping her on the short list, but maybe, maybe, maybe it's time I moved on. Yeah, you'd get the mature audience. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a fetish for everything. That's true. What did you? What do you guys find about? Okay. Joan co- Joan credited you, right? She totally did. She was totally generous. There was never any question that she. It was a, it was a book about plastic surgery, a nonfiction guide to you know what we called her favorite hobby, <laughs> and you know obviously she's not going to do that reporting, no, you know, and interview not. ten plastic surgeons and you know do the internet research and look at the videos of what actually happens Ugh. when she's <laughs> when she's out cold. And so she wasn't going to say, oh yeah, I spent a year reporting plastic surgery so she gave me credit as a reporter what about um, what about you know this the snooky book you weren't credited but it wasn't a big secret either well i i thought if anybody was gonna blow the lid off celebrity novel ghostwriting it would be snooky because honestly <laughs> who on earth would believe that she could sit in front of a computer for more than three minutes i mean there was a a great scene in jersey shore season two or three where she actually did sit in front of a computer to type a note 
and she misspelled like every word. She didn't know how to type. She her grammar, you know. Please, and well, she's only read apparently right. two books, if that's even true. Exactly, which is including nothing. her Sarah, own. I hope Sarah yeah. Palin has written many more books than she's ever going to read in this lifetime. Right, yeah. and her ghostwriter is well known too. Right, um, what's her name? Lynn uh, Spear, uh, I think, uh, or Lynn uh, and she was right, and she was, Shear. and she had worked out on like uh, Christian books, and right? Sort of like right, hardcore right wing, right? Sort, sort of. She has an, her niche. Yes, her niche. And Keith, how did you get into writing for wrestlers? Another race not known for their literary prowess. Well, well, that's not exactly true, because if you listen to all-time wrestling promos, a lot of the wrestlers were rather articulate, and superstar Billy Graham, who'll be here in a moment, was one of the most articulate at all. Of all, I think he said something. I, he said, I feel good, and I look even better. And he said there was something else, and he said like a cashmere sweater. So he could really, he could really turn a phrase. How much time did you spend with him? Well, superstar Billy Graham, I was fortunate enough to spend months with, and that was a guy I really looked up to. He was a great promo man, and he was the prototype for both Hulk Hogan and Jesse the Body Ventura, the bleach blonde, bronze, the Donis. And, and you know, he could real. he had been in the ministry when he was much younger. So he really had a way with words. And so we would watch old wrestling tapes and he would tell me what he was thinking during those periods. But uh, we would also watch movie to, movies together and we would eat Mexican food together and we'd, we had a pretty good time. Val, how much time did you spend with, um, with, with the Snookster? I've never met Snooki. <laughs> were you That's invited okay. to the Not, book party? Neither was she. <laughs> uh, she didn't have a book party. I, I had these fantasies of showing up oh. at the book party, like dressed totally in black, or like with a, a burqa on. Or well, I just want to, you know, I, I have read some of some of the Snooki book, and, and it's wonderful. It's fine. You know, I um, took objection. I know we both did do a story in the New York Times. Uh, was it this weekend? Last week, um, with some smarty pants, you know, you know, Jewish literary agent, Iris Silverberg. Right? Iris Silverberg. Fuck him. All right, Iris Silverberg. Are you listening? Fuck you. Okay. Because um, what? We're you- on the radio. Let's let's <laughs> minimize the f bomb. Um, Iris Silverberg. Fuck you. Okay. What he says is. Um, he wants to know, the question is, this is a quote, I think for many of us, is it simply commerce and we should laugh it off, or does it take a slot away from a legitimate writer? And to this... Uh, What's a legitimate okay, writer? first of all... And now we're yeah. going to talk about the New York Nazi times. <laughs> I mean, you know, since... See, the, the, the last great thing they did, or the last momentous thing they did was apologize for Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> what is a legitimate writer? First of all, the person who wrote Snooki's book is a best-selling author, a legitimate journalist for many years, with 30, uh, 30 books under her belt. Okay, so not even talk about what's legitimate or not. I am offended at this concept, too. Does it take a slot away from this legitimate writer? As if there were a finite number of slots in the publishing business. Well, there is a finite number of dollars, but the point is that a book like the Snooki book called A Sure Thing, New York Times bestseller, uh, <laughs> made a fuckload of money for duty, publishing. And it, you know, for, for that imprint at Random House. And, uh, no, that was Simon and Schuster. Sorry, <laughs> what was that? Uh, you know, and and that enables that publisher to buy a small, sleepy 
first novel by a literary novelist. And it keeps editors in their paychecks. Yeah. I think that's great. You know, I don't feel in any way when Snooky's book comes out or Nicole Richie's book comes out that it's knocking Judy or I off the bookshelves. Right. In, in no possible way. So who's who's reading Snooky's book? Who do we... Well, I know from the book readings that are from her many signings the, the that she did. The book readings? They're, okay, she, she did not actually do any readings. I thought it would be awesome <laughs> if she did the You're fantasizing that. Right, I know. <laughs> you're li- you're living your gimmick. Uh, you know, they were kids like, you know, my daughter, like these teenage girls who think Jersey Shore is hilarious, who think Snooki is, you know, charmingly daffy. And they bought the book because they wanted to, you know, read a novel that would be like that. I think it's fair enough. I have no problem with a Snooki novel. Well, Ghost written. It's just a brand extension. Well, it wasn't a novel. It was, it was, it a, was a novel. No, it was yeah. a novel. Well, that's, you know, this is where you guys are in different kind of rackets. I mean, um, you do memoirs specifically, mm-hmm. you know, autobiographies. Um, and to ghostwrite a novel is a whole different beast. Right. Well, the Joan book was, um, well, that was like a reported book. It wasn't a memoir. But I am doing a memoir now for a celebrity. Uh, it's like service and memoir. But, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to cover every single base. I'm trying to keep my kids, you know, <laughs> because you are urban le- outfitters. <laughs> you are a legitimate writer. Right. That's right. People don't understand what working writers really do. I mean, it's nice to go out and write the great American novel and be able to have the time, the resources to sit at your desk 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, we write all sorts of things. I've mm-hmm. written all sorts of press releases. And this is another uh type of ghostwriting too I write for you know, rock and roll bands all the time and I'm always creating quotes mm-hmm. I mean some of these guys I, I talk to um, you know can't you know, <laughs> you know now, and this is true and here I'm gonna, gonna out my friend David Johansson a little bit of the New York Dolls for whom I just worked but I talk to him and I ask him about the new record he goes yeah well we had to make it you know it was kind of a rush but the Somebody said we had to make it so we can stay on the road. And I'm like, ack! You know, thank God I'm not a journalist. You know, I work for you. It's okay. We'll fix it, you know, in the edit. But you can't say that to a journalist. That's terrible. So I go home and I go straight for David Johansson. Which actually brings up a question of authenticity. Um, talking about who's writing these books, um, I was making the joke before, Viz the New York Dolls. Uh, my friend Dave Thompson wrote a book called... Um, I Hate New Music, the Classic Rock Manifesto. He say, he mentions that David Johansson was once in a band with Sil Sylvain and three other guys that was called the David Johansson Band, and no one gave a shit. And then 20 years later, David Johansson was in a band with Sil Sylvain and three other guys that was called the New York Dolls, and everybody got excited. So it really begs, you know, who cares? And what really does authenticity mean? Okay, what does authenticity mean? Authenticity is in a person's mind. It's like their relationship with a higher power. It's how you interpret it. Well, I guess I would say authenticity and integrity go together. Mm -hmm. And for the ghostwriter, you know, I feel like it's an authentic writing experience if I feel like my integrity hasn't been compromised. And doing a novel for Snooki, I feel like it was so above board that she didn't write it that at no point did I feel like I was... You know, selling out. Yeah, or, you weren't tricking or, anyone. No. Yeah, I mean, and she didn't either. She mentioned my name in every interview she did. She gave me credit on the acknowledgments page. I mean, she basically said, you know, I named the characters and had two plot points. But <laughs> so I mean, Snooki's a mensch. She's totally a mensch. Well, right on. I mean, and she talk about authentic emotion. Here's this girl <laughs> who does not lie at any point in her existence. No, she's not capable. She's not capable she, of guile. Exactly. She just can't be. She is she's so... She's like a kitten. To- <laughs> well, as opposed to professional wrestling, which is a business based on lies. <laughs> it's a business based on lies, but the irony there, of course, is that what they experience is real. 
they, they're in pain every night. Their families break up. And they live for this ideal. And, you know, superstar Billy Graham will be here in a minute or so, and he'll be able to elaborate on that even more. But I feel that, you're talking about authenticity, that was something I wanted to convey in all of my wrestling books. That this isn't a cartoon show for these guys. This is the real thing. And it has real, long-lasting impacts on them. That's right. Wrestling hurts. All right, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. Um, I got a special song I want to play Johnny Cash's Ode to Ghost Writers And um, also want to plug our friends At bakeanddestroy.net Who are holding Sugar Slam 2011 It is a wrestling based Bake Off So please visit them at bakeanddestroy.net You've got some killer cupcakes And some pile drive and pastries He rested as he went along his way When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw Plowing through the ragged skies And up a cloudy draw Their brands were still on fire And their hooves were made of steel Their horns were black and shiny And their hot breath he could feel a bolt of fear went through him as they thundered through the sky For he saw the riders coming hard And he heard their mournful cry Get the eye Here, here we are back on the Mike and Judy show on the Heritage Radio Network being broadcast live from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick. Wow, that's scary. But I have a feeling... Is that a ghost? I have a feeling it may be the greatest champion in WWF history. The woman's bet and the man's regret. The man with the power too sweet to be sour. What you see is what you get and what you don't see is better yet. Are you there, Superstar? I'm here, I'm here. All right, Superstar Billy Graham. Hello. All right. Yay. All right. And, and Billy, the reason we have you here today is we're talking about the art of ghostwriting or co-authoring. And I'd say my, uh, my experience co-authoring your book probably was my most fulfilling uh, professional endeavor ever. Billy, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Are you in church? <laughs> I think Billy, Billy, can we hear you? Hello? Yeah, hello, hello. Okay. <laughs> All right. I on Sunday. Superstar could No, be. he is in church. He's so, definitely in church. He may have stepped outside, and that may be the chorus we hear. As I mentioned to you, he was in the ministry as a younger man. All right, can you hear us now? Yeah, very, very good. I can hear you very good. Okay, and as I said before, uh, where the, the topic here is ghostwriting, and I feel that co-authoring your book was probably my most fulfilling professional experience. Oh, that's quite a compliment to me, then. Uh, my gosh. Uh, considering the uh, caliber of writing that you uh, have done, do, and will continue to do, <clears throat> that's an extreme compliment to someone's Billy Grant. 
You and uh, Keith spent quite a lot of time together uh, writing this book, and you feel that um, it sounds like you. It's your voice. It's your book. Oh, oh yes. Oh, he captured he captured me um, uh, coming out here to Phoenix and uh, going uh, uh, going to the gyms I trained at and being uh, in person and, and looking at. Um, uh, photographs, wrestling magazines, and of course his in-depth knowledge of the business to begin with. Uh, uh, there was nothing he he did not know, does not know about professional wrestling. So uh, it, it made it such a, an easy uh, uh, an easy um, uh, thing to do. It, it was a uh, it was a great pleasure. It was like uh, um, uh, so simple. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't you know. A drudgery thing at all. It was, it was. It was just. It was so easy. It was fun. It was exciting. It was. It was like everything flowed. We. We. Everything just flowed from the man, uh, and uh, he captured. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, uh, he filled in all the gaps uh, perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. Great. And you know, one of the one of the the uh, memories I have is I remember you and I were eating Mexican food one day. And there was a very attractive waitress serving us, and we began chatting with her, and uh, you said, well, you know, I'm the former WWF champion, and this here's my co-author. And she looked at us like we had just escaped from the mental hospital, like these two guys are throwing a line like that on us. Yeah, yeah, she she couldn't quite uh, understand what we were <laughs> talking about, but the Mexican food was good. It was good, good, authentic Mexican food. That it was. Oh, we've been, and we've been using the word authentic, and that's something, Mike. You should ask him. Well, about. that's that's the question. When you're writing a book about wrestling, um, where do you break kayfabe? Where do you know to draw the line um, to pull you know the curtain up or to leave the sheet lying over the bodies where they lay? Um, oh, uh, in my case, uh, uh, you pull the sheets back and reveal the, reveal the dead body. <laughs> you, you don't hide anything, not in this day and age. Uh, uh, um, I, I suppose some wrestlers would, but uh, uh, in my case, no, and especially with a, a skilled writer of uh, Keith Greenberg's uh, caliber, uh, it would be foolish to try to um, uh, uh, save any... Uh, uh, anything that should be written, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. In this day and age of, uh, of um, uh, the way our culture is, uh, even though the book was written, I don't know, going on five years ago, maybe, I don't know for sure. Uh, but still, no, no, not, not with, um, uh, not with my nature of, uh, uh I, I never, uh, you know, I, I knew I was in the entertainment business, period. And I was able to entertain the folks and then uh, sort of translate that into a book with a writer of Keith Greenberg's skill <laughs> caliber. And, uh, Thanks for putting me over. <laughs> is, is what was very important in, in, in this case. Well, that's a professional. He knows how to sell, right? That's Keith? right. Keith. Well, um, Keith, why don't you talk about how this is, you know, working with Superstar is different from working with uh, some of your other subjects. Ric Flair, um, which Fred, whose book became uh, New York Times bestseller. That's true, yes. I, I think there was, um, from the outset, an implicit trust there. Uh, Billy knew that I was advocating for him. I think in Ric Flair's case, 
although I'm proud of that book and very proud to have worked with him, he didn't know me as well. I wasn't a, an award. I wasn't a reward to him. Like, hey, you get to work with Keith Elliott Greenberg. I was kind of put on him. The publisher said, "This is who you have to work with," and he was like, "Who the hell's this guy?" Superstar Billy Graham called me up and requested that I be his co-author. So from the outset, we were a team. I think that's great. And you're a superstar, Billy Graham, a guy known for his outsized ego, who you're telling me basically is a pussycat. He sounds completely without an outsized ego when it comes down to doing the job. Well, he wanted to make his points, and he had, he had, you know, he had a voice that he needed to convey to the public. But he put that trust in me, and I'm grateful for it. Right on. So, uh, superstar. I, mean, I, I think that I think that Rick Flair also a problem with with Rick, who I love dearly. Uh, I think he also had a uh, still had some sort of problem of protecting the business at that point. Mm-hmm. I think there was some sort of uh, um, subconscious uh, uh, mindset of him protecting. I thought there was nothing to protect. Uh, uh, there was nothing uh, sacred. There is nothing sacred, holy, uh, uh, or anything about pro wrestling. It's pure entertainment. And um, uh, so maybe with, in Rick's case, uh, he felt he had to shelter, uh, you know, uh, maybe something. I don't know, but, but I just felt such freedom. Uh, because uh, uh, with with Keith, uh, of course, his, his knowledge, his knowledge uh, of of the business is what really, really, uh, and his enthusiasm, uh, I think, uh, also uh, uh, was uh, revealed because of my acceptability of Keith knowing the business and and reveal um, uh, the the business as it is entertainment. Well, I think yeah. we're at a point now, um, aside from wrestling as well, with other forms of entertainment, with the celebrity memoir in general, I think we can, we're a little bit more free to tell all than we, than we used to be. You think, Val? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. People are, um, you know, with the internet and nude pictures mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody has their own reality show. There are no secrets anymore. And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So there were no wrestling scandals or, or personal scandals? Oh, there's scandals plenty of scandals. That you didn't... Did, was there anything that the Reverend was reluctant to share? Not the Reverend. The Reverend... He took his name from the Reverend, but his okay. name's Superstar. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't know if there was anything that, that you weren't willing to share. I think you pretty much came clean about everything. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Certainly, of course, from uh, the abuse of steroids to... Uh, uh, prescription drugs to uh, everything, to, to blading, to uh, everything that uh, 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 those uh, the Vince McMahon would allow. Now uh, we 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 leave a lot there, but Vince, but Vince, uh, uh, I I don't know. Uh, Keith would know better than me uh, what Vince would pull at that time frame. Uh, and not really uh, allow us to get into. Right, because it was an imprint of WWE. Uh, right. But he, I mean, I, I wasn't restricted about anything that I said. Right, but this also brings up you did the Iron Sheik's book, which has never seen the light of day. That's true. That's true. I did the Iron Sheik's book also for a w, WWE imprint of Simon & Schuster, and by then the company had taken a PG-13 turn. 
And as a result of that, the book was never published. And as if you listen to the Howard Stern show, you can imagine why. No, he's been very open about smoking crack and all the hookers and whatnot. You should not not hookers, but smoking crack. Yes, you should self-publish. Do an uh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm Who needs a publisher anymore, right? It's- I do. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what, we're getting to the end of our 30 minutes, but why don't uh, you guys stick around, okay? Let's talk more about ghostwriting. I want to hear it once again for superstar Billy Graham, Yay! the greatest champion in the history of the World Wrestling Federation. Truly, there would be no chumps like Hogan uh, without him. You're the best superstar. Thanks for being on. Um, and let's wrap it up for now, but let's come back for part two of Ghostwriting. We're going to talk more about Snooky, more about John Rivers, and Judy's going to tell us about working with the Hardy Boys. So, for Judy McGuire, Thank Keith you. Elliott Greenberg, and Val Frankel, I'm Mike Edison. But uh, come back next week for part two of our story about Ghostwriters. This is the Mike and Judy Show. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. All of the trade papers are just buzzing with the information that Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, has decided that he is only going to eat food that he himself has killed, as in proteins. So uh, thus far, he's um, killed a goat, a pig, a chicken, and some fish. But he's going to start hunting, he says, so that he can, you know, basically be more mindful of what he is putting in his mouth and into his body. And um, to quote a CNN Money article, he says, This year, my personal challenge is around being thankful for the food I have to eat. I think many people forget that a living being has to die for you to eat meat. So my goal revolves around not letting myself forget that and being thankful for what I have. This year, I've basically become a vegetarian since the only meat I'm going to eat is from animals I've killed myself. And thus far, this has been a good experience. I'm eating a lot healthier foods, and I've learned a lot more about sustainable farming and the raising of animals. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Keeper. Did you know we have a beer show? Check out a small clip from Beer Sessions Radio. All right, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, and I'm here with Ray Dieter from the DBA Bars. Hey, Jim. Ray, this is a fun show. We're drinking Belgian beer. We're drinking Ictagum. Hanging out with the guys from 124 Rabbit Club. we got uh, Don and Wendy from Van Berg and the Wolf. Well, let's go back a little bit to, to kind of build your pedigree. So the two of, the, two of your top brands that we... Love and that you have now, Scaldis and Saison Dupont. Yeah, exactly. Tell us uh, h- how you met those guys, how you started working with them. Well, 
Saison de Pont was really that was. If you want to hear more, head over to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, where new episodes of Beer Sessions are posted every week in our archive. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and iTunes.